0: Welcome to this week's episode of Life in the Clouds. We ended up splitting the last recording we did into two episodes. So this is part two of our discussion on apps, data, and how they play into your cloud strategy. We'll be back next week with our first interview. Uh, We had Frank Lamar over during the Red Hat conference. So uh, be sure to subscribe and download that when it comes out next week. Hope you enjoy
1: Yeah. And I was actually last week, I was all at Dell Tech World in in Vegas. And and this idea of hybrid cloud was definitely a key fundamental thing that kept coming up across the the conference. And one of the the folks that I spoke to um, actually was making a bold claim saying that they think that AWS or public cloud spend in aggregate will be a little less of a growth percentage this year because of the size of Oracle databases and the inability to kind of partner holistically with Oracle.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I didn't necessarily realize that. So why do they think that uh, the specific problem with partnering holistically with Oracle will be a challenge? Well,
1: I think it's just the the whole fact of being able to decouple your application from its database and and the ability to, first of all, host Oracle databases on AWS, because what you don't want to do in an application is have your data set far away from where you're processing that d- data. You know what I mean? And I think that's what's fundamentally happening here because majority of databases today are you know either sap or oracle and most of them are oracle in nature is it
0: is it sap and oracle or what about sql server mysql postgres
1: yeah no sql yeah i mean i i but all no, of but those
0: no sql is not a database provider no sql is a construct of language i think sql i think oracle i mean ibm probably still has a lot on db2 well
1: and i i mean i think that there's a lot on yeah i i, I don't know. I'm just I'm speaking very generically that most people ha- most enterprises have an Oracle database and where you're able to put that Oracle database Oracle is obviously suggesting you keep it on their cloud
0: right and it's funny you mentioned the um, where your data is matters you know I'm reading the designing data intensive applications book and one line that I highlighted in there was the. Fastest network call is no network call, right? So, yeah. <laughs> to to the extent you can colo your data with your applications, is always going to be much better.
1: Well, one of the biggest, you know, technology drivers to where you put your application in which environment is latency, and that's kind of I think that was what this person was getting at is that if you are unable to host your database in the same location as you're trying to compute for that application, then you have a disconnect. So, so what do people do right now? You can either host host that, you know, again, Oracle database in Oracle's cloud, or you can do that on premises in your own private cloud, because they still have partnerships with, you know, all the big infrastructure players, but they have kind of removed themselves with partnering from the other public cloud vendor.
0: Interesting. And I think some of that going forward will be will drive a re-architecture of how your data works based on being in cloud environments. So if you have your applications and data running somewhere, the only data that's persisted by the applications would be what they need to run. And then maybe there's some other layer that dispatches your, the data from there to wherever you're enterprise data warehouse using that term rather vaguely lives yeah
1: exactly maybe you know maybe that's Equinix's business plan is to put a bunch of data centers right around all the Oracle data centers so that they can sell those colo space or something. But
0: yeah, it is a
1: very interesting problem. And I think it is one that, again, goes back to what you fundamentally said when you look at these application and data and cloud strategies is that partnerships between these vendors actually matters a lot more to the end user than maybe they originally think of. Because I think a lot of engineers get very excited with the latest and greatest technology, and they forget about the 20 35 years of history that some of these companies have had together.
0: I do. I will take issue with the fundamental part of that statement that was the growth in cloud is going to slow because of Oracle databases. I don't think there's any way that the growth in cloud is going to slow in aggregate. Like that, that just doesn't seem like it could possibly be a correct prediction. I
1: think it was more like um, instead of it being like 148% growth or something, it'll be like 136% growth. Like there's still going to be some. Sub- substantial growth in the public cloud market it just i it would and again this was just a theory this wasn't right. just. i'm just
0: uh, I, i'm saying that i don't think the growth itself is going to slow okay. i know that there will still be growth i would be very surprised because slowing growth indicates like if you start slowing growth whether it's a firm or a technology direction like that's the beginning of the end essentially if you're not either maintaining your increasing growth rate you're starting a decline in all but the rarest scenarios yeah
1: and, and let's Let's be clear, too, that I'm not saying that it's going to slow growth of them adding new companies. I'm saying more like if you are a Coca Cola, maybe your amount of net new AWS resources for 2019 slows down a little bit compared to 2018. Because you're starting to instead of just adopt all of these different technologies, you're starting to think about the actual architecture across these different environments and what that means to you like, well,
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, that would obviously be the case in individual firm considerations, because at some point you're going from well, at some point you have an infinite growth curve because you're going from zero to some stuff on the cloud. And then, yeah, on an individual company basis, I could buy that, but I don't buy it in aggregate.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, tell, I'll let you know who that is. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about telling them. I just care about being right after the fact. So yeah, this down.
1: <laughs> totally. Totally. Oh well, I think that was the first time we've laughed this podcast, so it was probably a good break for everyone. <laughs> well, that's good. So I guess uh, then, so leading back into cloud strategies, then what are what are kind of the fundamental things or attributes or aspects of a cloud strategy that you think of? I mean, we talked about business and technology drivers, and and from a business perspective, it is uh, you know regulation, risks, securities, SLAs or SLOs. You know, maybe even some environments look at recover point objectives or anything of that nature. And then from technology standpoint, we talked about, you know, latency and things of that nature. But is there any other as, you know, more of an application data strategy guy? Is there another attribute I'm not thinking about or driver that really kind of has you thinking about cloud strategies in a different
0: way? No, I mean, all those definitely are. And I mean, I assume that you're talking about those attributes from the cloud and infrastructure provider itself which are the same ones that you need whether it's cloud or not cloud right you need service level objectives uh, service level agreements expectations of up and down and maintenance time from not only cloud providers but you need that from your physical server arrays your data centers your internal infrastructure teams third-party infrastructure team like you you need that information regardless of where you're getting your infrastructure from so as i mentioned kind of up front to me it's one you've got to evaluate the ecosystem of the the cloud itself, right? Because each cloud provider will have a different set of native tools that are available to firms and individual application engineers that are of varying level of sophistication depending on which provider that is, right? Which you have from AWS is probably the largest cloud provider in aggregate by a wide margin. I, yeah. So, you know, they have a lot more time. Especially
1: than- if Azure keeps going after yeah. <laughs> <It's in> last- <laughs> (laughs)
0: Fair. But EC2 is not immune from outages as well. No, Um, none of them are. But they have the most time in the game. They have the most customers. They have the most wrung out ecosystem. They likely have the most services that are of usable production quality. So that's definitely a consideration. So if you've got AWS on one side, then you've got, I don't know, Bob's data center on the other side where, you know, it's just someone who's got a cluster of servers in a colo data center that's providing some sort of managed service that technically conforms to the definition of cloud. Not going to have probably a whole lot of ecosystem of you're not going to have Dynamo or a, a native RabbitMQ service or things like that. So, but it's probably going to be a lot cheaper than Amazon independent of economy scale of scale and things like that. It's time to talk about our sponsor, G1 Consulting Group. G1 provides many services from software implementation to strategic business development. Their diverse team of consultants has experience across dozens of industries and companies. What sets G1 apart is its focus on cultivating a trusted partnership with their clients, ultimately sharing in outcomes and successes. If you have a project that's stuck or a new initiative that you're undertaking or need help exploring the business landscape, contact G1 Consulting Group. You can find them at www. G one C G dot com. That's www. the number one C G dot com. So you got to figure out one is what does the ecosystem itself buy me? Then two is what that ecosystem buys me worth the price that I'm going to pay for one, having to get into that ecosystem. So the upfront costs two the ongoing operational costs while I'm within the ecosystem. And then three, uh, you know, the risk assessment costs of if I do need to pull out of that ecosystem for some reason, what is that likely going to cost me? And based on historical performance, size of the vendor, what's the likelihood of that risk event actually occurring? Um, so I think those are three pretty key areas on which to think about evaluating the financial impact. So beyond the you know functional viability of a platform or provider, the financial impacts, I would say, is definitely, definitely second. Okay. I mean, if it's not 1A, 1B.
1: And to be fair, I actually found a statistic that says companies plan to spend 24% more on public clouds in 2019 versus 2018. So I'm proving that guy wrong once again.
0: Well, I mean, only once it's actually executed will we validate that number. It's true. But... That's true. <laughs> I would be shocked if it's if growth slows next year in cloud.
1: No, that but you know what was interesting actually speaking of growth or financial dependencies on cloud was the wave of various IPOs that happened in this last month. Pinterest, Slack, uh, there was one more there. Lyft. Lyft and their kind of amounts of dependency right over the next three to five years on AWS. Actually, it seems as though the financial market is not ready for a line item that says we are completely dependent on our business on another company um, in order to keep our business up and running um, I,
0: so I disagree with that because many companies have been dependent like for 40 50 years companies were wholly dependent on IBM like IBM was the only name in corporate computing games. so the mar- the market I would say is definitely ready for firms to be re- relying on other firms because not only in technology, There are other like very large consulting firms, very large accounting firms, very large legal firms that are a large portion of a company's cash flow statement and balance sheet. But the
1: the difference there is if AWS was to shut their doors tomorrow, right, these companies would all have to shut their doors versus when IBM, if IBM was to shut their doors, those companies would already have had those assets up and running and they're not reliant on IBM to keep those assets up and running. Right.
0: So I would disagree there. I think that uh, many of the firms that leveraged IBM also leveraged IBMs for service operations and maintenance. I I don't think that had IBM gone under when IBM was kind of the only player in the game, it would have been this similar impact, right? If Amazon goes down, a large portion of the economy is going to go down because like a lot of companies are dependent on AWS. They won't go down because there will likely be like stopgap vendors that come in and provide similar services just as they would with IBM. Somewhat of the difference here is that the a lot of the technology is a lot newer. It's a lot more uh, I don't know if nascent is the right word. It, I, I'd say more of the risk is the newness and the novelty and the unproven nature versus the market's not being comfortable with a company having a very large line item dependent on an external firm. I think in the like uh, in the capital markets, I think that's an acceptable risk that has been proven to be okay over the course of so time. So what
1: what so maybe I'm misunderstanding kind of the hype or or kind of the reaction right that the financial firms have had so we saw this negatively impact slacks ipo we're seeing this negatively impact Lyft's ipo Uh, pinterest
0: and a lot of that is post facto analysis right like there's not there's a confluence of factors that cause ipos to go up or down like it's i haven't gone in and read a lot of the any i mean frankly any i read a little bit of the Lyft s1 mainly as it was quoted in the wall street journal but i haven't gone and read any of the public accounting statements like obviously the various firms that are involved in an IPO have fundamental motivations to price that IPO uh, quite high uh, because typically the the bankers and attorneys make a lot more money so there's an agency problem there and then th- there's any number of reasons why it may be going down so i don't know how the analysts who have done so have tried to tie i'm assuming that you're saying that the IPO prices in all these cases has gone down and that's because of their aws Spend, I, I I don't know how the analysts who are doing so are making that connection in a causal manner. manner. So
1: the, the one that I read was just about the the proportion of revenues going to back to Amazon. So if this company says, you know, in their S1 statements that let's say they make $100 million a year, you know, in, in revenue, then $30 million or so of that revenue actually has to go back to Amazon, right? Right? So so it's cutting into their profit margin by being so dependent on these agencies. And I, I don't disagree with you that this has kind of always been an issue in technology to buy technology and then have it kept running through different vendors. But I think it's the first time that we've seen the number in aggregate, all kind of summarized in in these big lump sums before.
0: I mean, I don't I don't know that that's necessarily the case because you dealt with like overly large supplier problems throughout the history. Of- of capital markets. So it's it, like this fundamentally to me is a problem of supplier mix. And like, yeah, maybe these companies are too heavily invested into uh, too much of their risk is tied to a single supplier. But I don't think that this is a unique or new problem. And I also think that the point of the S1 and part of like one of the main things of the SEC, mainly their primary or only job throughout an IPO is to ensure that there is accuracy in the financial risk. Rating And the IPO price of these companies, you know, within some certain level of tolerance. So that risk is that's why the companies have to open their books. That's why they have, you know, auditing firms and attorneys looking at all this stuff pre IPO, like that risk of the sole supplier risk should already be baked into the price of the IPO. So that's not something that people are learning after the fact. And I would argue that it's a it's the same similar problem that you would have if you had an automobile manufacturer sole sourcing chassis. So a very large core component of an automobile. You only have one supplier, which you know historically has been the case until the, you know Toyota came along um, and tried to do supplier swap outs and things like that. Not to digress, but it's not it's not something that has is completely new in the capital markets, I would argue.
1: Okay, no, and I, I think that's fair, but I, th- I think it's an interesting thing that's coming out right now and that people are talking about as it pertains to cloud strategies. So, so to go back, I guess, to what we were fundamentally talking about, right, which was cloud strategies versus data strategies, and you brought up this whole idea of actually it's application and data strategies, and then you kind of think about the environments of those applications and data. I guess, is there any other kind of fundamentals that you think our audience needs to know about these three different strategies, how they correlate with each other, or how they're kind of decoupled from each other?
0: I I mean, we've talked a lot about how this impacts you as a firm, but ultimately, you got to be focused on who your customers and users are. Like that's, that's your number one, right? It doesn't, at at some level, it doesn't matter if this is running in a cloud on a server, locally on somebody's phone. I mean, honestly, even if it's running on a computer at all, if it's on like a pen and paper, you got to be able to sell your product, and you got to have people that want to buy it. And the people that are operating the thing that gets that product to customers have to be able to do their jobs in an efficient manner. So we we talk a lot about the nuances on how that stuff matters to, to us as technologists, but customers and you know customer service and actually operating your firm so that you're developing and designing and creating sellable products that people will buy, thats that's got to be your ultimate like laser focus for the outcome. And then however you get to that goal at some level doesn't really matter.
1: That's true. Well, those are great insights, Dustin. Thank you. I think uh, we really talked about a lot of things here today. So to summarize, it's you know, you really need to think about through your application strategy, how that relates to your data strategy, what data you're keeping, what you're getting rid of, the data purity you have there, kind of the the data locale and based on latency and how you're thinking of how these applications are being made and, and utilizing that data. And then ultimately what environments you're putting these application and data resources in and how that kind of affects or doesn't affect your customer base. All in all, I thought that was a, a great... Uh, uh, episode five, but would love to hear, of course, our listeners' feedback. So make sure to post comments and ask us questions below. And looking forward to next podcast episode, we're actually interviewing a couple of your buddies, right? Uh, back from Home Depot, or who are we interviewing for next uh, podcast? Yeah we've, got,
0: uh, yeah, we've got a couple guys that, uh, that I worked with at Home Depot um, that have since moved on, but they're in town for Next week in Boston is the the Red Hat conference, so they'll uh, they're going to swing by our place, and we're gonna we're gonna chat probably about some nuances of application development, what they're looking to get out of Red Hat, and and some things like that. So that should be fun.
1: That should be fun. Well, looking forward to it. And thanks so much, Brittany and Dustin. Signing off of Life in the Clouds.
0: Have a great week.